It's happening again. Welcome to Work Cookie, a CBOT podcast. As we broadcast around the world, get bite-sized morsels and tidbits from our industrial organizational psychologists, other experts, and the latest research on the workplace to boost your organization's effectiveness. Sign up now at cboc.com. That's S-E-B-O-C.com to engage with our community, gain a sense of belonging, access our other media, and get rapid advice from our experts at cboc.com. Welcome. I'm Dr. Jeremy Lookabaugh, Industrial Organizational Psychology Consultant and Workplace Communication and Negotiation Coach. Also, we have Tom Bradshaw with us, a voice and speech coach and a damn good actor, too. He is the official voice and speech coach for the industrial organizational psychology community. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to our weekly gathering, Work Cookie, as we join IO psychologists, HR uh, recruiters, and one actor as we try to make the world of work just a little bit better. And today, Jeremy, we're going to talk about decision dynamics, igniting group choices for success. If you're going to have a group, it's good to get them ignited, and it's always good to be going towards success. But where exactly are you going to lead us today in this discussion? So there's a couple of different really good references that we have for today, and I'll end up putting them in the chat. It's interesting because when you look at the history, so group dynamics have been studied since the the 70s, the 80s, the 90s, for the most part. And then, of course, we have these new lines of research that are coming across for virtual groups. Sometimes you can look at like baselines in terms of group performance. And some studies show, like few studies show that group performance is better than the performance of an individual or a combination of individual efforts. But when you look at some of the different meta-analysis, when you look at the cohesiveness of groups, we start to look at group norms and looking at productivity of like, how do we tie in performance goals and task requirements and those types of things? And it can be interesting to look at sometimes when you look at even the, the democratic decision-making processes versus a singular kind of authoritarian decision-maker that pulls in kind of advisors. So we're going to take a look at all kinds of different things related to that, Tom. Well, it, it, it just kind of reminds me of, you know, my favorite sports team. You know, there's, there's a coach who may lead some of the decision, but it's really comes down to the players and their group dynamic and who's leading them. So can we make that analogy with, you know, your favorite sporting team and the way that maybe your team wants to work at work? You can. So it's interesting when you look at like even in terms of brainstorming, brainstorming groups can be very effective. But when you look at like when you aggregate all the studies, a normal group can have just as much success, but it also so I think we talked about this last year where you might have a, a like a, a soccer team, for example, for World Cup. If you have a team of all all-stars, sometimes a mediocre group can perform better than a group of all all-stars simply because of uh, some of the like interpersonal dynamics and different dynamic skill sets. So you can you can make those you can make that analogy for sure. You know, I'm, I'm old enough that I remember something called masterminding where, you know, groups would get together and they discuss their individual issues to try and see if someone else in the group had some suggestions for it. Are we still doing masterminding or is that passe or was it good to start with? Tell me more. What do you mean by masterminding? <laughs> well, I see Dr. Matthew shaking his head. Yes. You want to talk a little bit about masterminding? Sure. So uh, my experience with that, there's been 
group. Actually, it's a group of IO psychologists. We get together um, uh, every few weeks and specifically within the realm of organization development. And we all have different clients that we're working with. And sometimes we're, we're running into issues with those engagements or we're hitting walls where we're going, man, I just can't seem to get around this. And so being able to come together as a group and saying, hey, I've thought about this a little bit on my own. I want to get your take. I want to get your perspective. It's it's not quite brainstorming. It's almost what Adam Grant refers to as brain writing, where everybody kind of works on something a little bit at the beginning separately, but then brings it together collectively and says, what are different perspectives? What are different ideas? And in that process, because everybody has different backgrounds and different experiences, that that mastermind group, that collection, all of a sudden we have an expert who, or we have somebody who has a lot of experience in this area and brings in a perspective that I, I all of a sudden go, wait a minute, I never thought of that. So that mastermind group used to be very a formal group. Now it's sort of, uh, it, they may still be out there, but they're definitely not as prevalent as they were. But that concept is still there where people can come together, bring their perspectives and get insights from like-minded people who have just a slightly different approach to it. I think that one of the first mastermind groups was Thomas Edison, uh, Henry Ford, and a couple of other people. Dr. Martha, let's go to you. On masterminds, I think it was Napoleon Hill in one of his books that made it quite popular of people coming together, especially in the world of business, to exchange ideas. And the the whole concept was that if you have these minds come together, they create this mastermind that can collectively solve issues that otherwise would not be able to be solved. So I think that's where it all came from, or at least that's when, how it was made popular. Well, thank you very much for that. I'm so glad that you're here. <laughs> we want information. It's good to have Dr. Martha around. Um, Lee, how did this play out? You know, if we're talking about igniting choices for success, what were some of your experiences in the military where decisions had to be made? You know, as Jeremy was saying, sometimes there's often a leader, but sometimes you need that group dynamic as well. It's funny that you you ask because one of the things that came to mind when you mentioned the the all-star team earlier, you know, in in the Navy, there's like this huge shift from rank E6 to rank E7. So when you're selected to be a Navy chief, there's this huge thing, complete change, big training cycle. I mean, they change uniforms. I mean, the whole nine, I mean, it's huge. It's a huge thing. And every year it is a total just cluster because you take all these people who are, who are the top, cream of the crop, hot runners. They've been the, the center of the quarter, the center of the year. They've gotten the, the top evaluations meet all of them. And so you take, uh, let's see, my last group, I think was 32 here locally. So you take 32 alphas and you dump them in a jar and shake them up and see what happens. And so you put them in there and you go, okay, you know, who, who's your top guy? Well, you all are. And so now how do you work together? They don't <laughs> at all. When you first put them, I mean, you talk about group forming, storming. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Thunderstorming. So you put all these people together and then you just, you pick somebody randomly. Okay. You're in charge. Why is he in charge? Why am I not in charge? Why do I want to listen to him? Why does he know better than me? And you have all of these individuals that are now trying to form this group and everyone is used to being the guy. And it, it I mean, it's very entertaining from the outside, very frustrating on the inside, but you know, and I've, I've mentored many of these groups over the years and I'm like, guys, Every single group. To, I, I would love to say my group was different, but we weren't. I mean, it is Keystone Cops, you know, because 
everybody and, and everybody gets a chance to be in charge. Everybody gets fired because they all have to learn to work together. It is an amazing thing. I mean, it is a case study in the formation of groups, the whole the whole thing, the storming, norming, performing, all of that stuff. I mean, it is a case study. I mean, you could do, I mean, we need IOs in there writing papers. I mean, I'm telling you, fascinating. Yeah, I mean, you see people, I mean, like these, these like, superstars and they're in they're like in tears broken down because they're just like i can't do this but you do see you know in the military you do see the gamut though i mean you see the 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 tyrant dictators all the way to the uh let's all you know sing kumbaya and vote on it and the actual uh which in a in a, in a combat situation or something the tyrant is what you want somebody's going to decisively make decisions and everybody just does what they're supposed to do but Anything short of that, the the uh, the people in the middle are the ones that, you know, because during my time, I found that the most effective was somewhere in the middle where it's like, look, if I tell you to do something, that's what has to happen. With that said, bring me your ideas. Give me your opinions. You know, I'm going to give you room to fail and fail safely. And I'm going to figure out what we can do to make you better. And it was you know, it was very successful. I mean, I worked myself out of more jobs because mm-hmm. the team did. I'm doing it right now. I was talking to somebody about that this morning where I, I took over this chaotic thing where all these people were. I mean, it was micromanagement. It was terrible. It, morale was horrible. But we got in there and said, OK, so we're going to put everybody in a group and we formed a group. But we went through the same things and we gave everybody a voice and we made them collaborate. And today. I just kind of oversee it all. It's kind of on autopilot because we allowed those front runners to do their thing. And so they take care of their thing and then everybody else falls into their places. And humans are interesting in that we will all shake out into our, into our roles. If you allow it to happen, the problem is that most time in industry, we try to force it. It's the square peg round hole. And, you know, we all know how well that works. Just it doesn't. <laughs> well, thank you very much, Lee. Linda Ann, you got to have some good war stories from the HR department. <laughs> <laughs> well, just directly following on the heels of some of Lee's comments, I dropped in the the chat this link to a TED Talk. And I think I've done that for this group once once before, but it's one of my favorite TED Talks forever. And it's about this study that um, they did about super what it's like to put all the superstars together everybody think this is going to be this wonderful team and they did it with super chickens right and they by the end they were all dead and so it's it's a really good 10 minutes of entertainment with a very very salient point i think it's worth your time so any that being said i think when you when you look at the decision making within an organization there needs to be some kind of purposeful structure to it. You know, understanding clearly why are you using a group to make this decision? And then looking at how you want to comprise and structure that group and what particular decision-making technique you want to use, whether it's brainstorming or a Delphi technique, which is, you know, where you just choose experts and get them to anonymously provide their opinions. And then you summarize those opinions and get the feedback and those kinds of things so that you don't have that group think implementation where everybody comes up, they're sitting in the room and and somebody comes up with an idea and everybody goes, oh yeah, that sounds good. And then we're done kind of thing. And and so you 
you really need to be purposeful in how you want to structure this decision-making process. And then one of the values of, of being clear about that and understanding why the purpose of, of the organization or how that decision fits into accomplishing the purpose is important is because one of the things that I remember once is happening for me is when I was in a situation where decisions were being discussed, if I understood the decision-making process that had been gone through, even if I didn't agree with that decision, I you know, it wasn't this decision that I would have made. I understand there was value, a valuable process, and there had been a good thought process to go through to arrive at that decision. And so that helped me accept the decision more easily. And so I, I think those are just a couple of points to consider when you're looking at the dynamics of of asking a group to make a decision. And then there needs to be one one person who's finally responsible for that decision, right? Because right? sometimes you have to be like, make that executive decision or whatever, but you have to be willing to take responsibility for the outcome of that decision. Thank you very much for that. And Jeremy, let's go over to you. Um, and, you know, I love what Linda is saying, but I have had the experience of, you know, being in a group where supposedly it's group decision, but there is a leader who's already come with a decision in mind and we're just there to rubber stamp it. Do you see a lot of that with, with what looks like a group decision, uh, but it's really not? There was actually uh, one, of the, one of the references for today. Let me get over to it. It's called Group Dynamics Findings from Coordination and Problem Solving and Decision-Making Meetings. They set up, it's an interesting article, it's pretty short, but they set up this experiment and they found kind of related to this that it says in terms of leadership, 73% of groups with one leader were successful, whereas only 16% of groups with zero or two leaders were successful. So overall, we're going to need somebody to step up. Because that's, I mean, that's a pretty vast difference there. So there's going to be somebody that needs to stand up and take control of the group. There's also an interesting reference here that we have here. Because I was thinking about group dynamics and leadership, and I was thinking, well, why do we have a jury foreman? So there's one reference that we'll talk about today in terms of jurors and the specific dynamics of that. But to lead on to that, what Linda Ann was saying, there's something called the inhibition hypothesis. And that's when we look at the size of groups. So when you have smaller group sizes, you have more physical freedom because you have more chance to participate, but you have less psychological freedom because you're in a smaller group. So anything you say, you're going to be kind of, you're held to that, right? Because you have the, the small group and you're more, there's more interaction regardless of any specific skills and because of that greater exposure and Small groups tend to be more expressive and are, I guess, overall less detached. But when you get that, you also have more interaction and more discussion. And in that, you might have, this is where it goes into the brainstorming. When you have that, you have less ability to have ideas generate and come to, I guess, full idea generation fruition for the individuals. Because you might throw an idea out there, and unless it's unless you have a leader that's kind of leading that particular group saying, okay, let's let this germinate a little bit, 
you're not going to have that flower bloom in, in terms of the ideas. So it's interesting when you look at brainstorming and you combine that with the size of a group and then whether or not there's a particular leader in the group in terms of coming up with possible choices for the decision, but also we're looking at how much information is being brought because of presence of a leader, brainstorming activity or not, and also the size of the group. Is there any information on the ideal size of a group or the skills that a leader needs if they're going to uh, lead this group? Generally, it was six to 12 member groups are usually the best size groups. I would say from what I was looking at, generally, it's definitely no more than 12, but it it depends on on the decision too. But once you get more than that, things start to get, you you lack a distinguished spokesperson, the ability to actually speak up and be heard. It also becomes harder to determine who the leader is, especially if it's kind of an impromptu group, because when you have more than that, you might have two people that seem like they're leaders, but they're not, maybe just someone speaking up. Things kind of get muddled a little bit, but in terms, so in terms of those um, very specific and important decisions, it's usually like a six to 12 member group. And I think some, having something like FBI negotiation skills, um, <laughs> which you have, uh, would be really good to have if you were leading a group like that. It doesn't hurt. And even when you're not leading a group like that, to to have those particular skills, to get everything out of everybody and to also help to lead the group and be that, I talk about this a lot, be that spider web that's be, that you're able to pull all these ideas together. Because a big part of that also is how do you get more, you know, others to really just come to a, a sense of agreement. And as you showed me, it works really well on kids as well. It sure does. <laughs> Nick, let's go to you. Yeah, it's an interesting sort of thing. I think we talk about, you know, a leaderless group. You'll get people who are working together professionally and they'll just try to out-nice each other. And, oh, well, you go. No, no, you go. Then it gets to that sort of teenage, no, you hang up first sort of ridiculousness. So I think that having a facilitator or leader or somebody to say, this is the decision we're going with now. We're we're done. We're moving on to the next topic. Um, can do that. But I think on Dan's point, I'm just kind of thinking about like seeing the, the transparency in decision making leads to an understanding of why. I've I've walked into several organizations where you get the the greatest answer of this is the way we've always done it, and I wasn't there for that initial discussion. And so until somebody comes through and explains the logic of how that decision was come to. I can't really understand or support, but knowing that there was investment, like they put some thought into it, they they didn't just, you know, arbitrarily make the decision, always helps kind of support it. And even that, like once you track that logic, you can then go behind the scenes to do the homework and say, okay, what data do I need to maybe say this doesn't work and I can, can point this out, but you can't make a case against the decision unless you know what went into making the decision as well. Very, very true. Thank you, Nick. Let's go to Jacqueline. Thank you. I I love the points that have been brought up here, the size of the group making the decision. And I'm a big fan of the RASCI model. And I think Linda Ann was the first to say, you know, the leader eventually or whoever it is has to step up and, and be the A there, right? The decision maker. I've used a great resource that helps whoever that decision maker is decide should this be the group making the decision or should it be the leader? What's the sense of urgency in the matter at hand? So really it's a focus on 
what is this particular situation I'm in? And is it appropriate to make this a group decision or is it more appropriate to make this a leader decision? And I think most importantly is after that decision is made or leading up to it, depending on the situation, that there's communication. You know, maybe I'm the leader and I had to make this decision and here's why. Here's why I couldn't consult. Maybe it was timing. Maybe it was confidentiality, whatever that might be. And also, here's what I considered in making that decision. Maybe I've had conversations with my team members in the past, and I use that as input for this decision. So it's not that you don't have a voice. It's that these factors led me to have to make this decision on my own as the leader. And thank you very much for that. You know, we often come back to, it depends on communication. You've you've got to have fairly developed uh, communication skills so that you're able to share that information and and to share it well. Uh, so thank you very much for that, Jacqueline. Richard, let's go to you. Yeah, I'm going to put a resource in the chat. Um, back in my back in my studies at Purdue, there was a, we had an organizational management and behavior class, and I remember that there was a a study on uh, inclusive membership. So you know, this the whole concept of like belongingness, right? And specifically, when members of the team feel that they're supported, feel that there's you know justice and equity, and that they have had the opportunity to provide input into into shared decision making and they were recognized for that right that's i think that's a big part of that is the communication and the recognition that yes we were heard maybe not you know we didn't go the direction that we i wanted to go in but you know that that recognition goes a, goes a long way to fostering you know further engagement otherwise you know why am i going to do this again i don't want to put myself through that and, and and I've seen that with other. In fact, I'm working through some some stuff with a client right now where the it's a, it's a family owned business and everybody's like, well, you know, the family says this is what it is and that's how I'm going to take it and I'm not gonna I'm not gonna put push back and the family's like, well, we can't grow without the input of our people, right? And so there's this there are these 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 different dynamics that are happening, and you know the the leaders need to exercise. I think correct me if I'm wrong, but, you know, a little bit more empathy, that's one thing, you know, and and uh, a little more conscientiousness as to, you know, how the other people on the team feel and react to, you know, what's what's being said in uh, in those uh, decision-making movements. Well, I think you raised some really good points there, Richard, where, you know, just because you bring people together doesn't make them a team, you know, <laughs> they might not be effectively working together. And how how much does is it safe for me to raise my voice in a group? How much does that come into play with several of, of the group's dynamics that you might be working with? Yeah, that's just it. You know, you people when, when, and, and I mean, I think this has been one of the, the recurring themes I've seen in the research that I've you know conducted over the last three years or so, <laughs> you know, uh, is it, it's, it's that, that feeling the it, the perception of, organizational support i think i oh i can't remember the acronym i used the last time you know it that 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 perceived port uh, among the among the people if they don't have that you're just not you're not going to get the the engagement you're not going to get good decision making happening for sure you know yeah uh, so you know yeah i've been in several groups where you know I've got a strong voice. I'm not really sure they wanted to hear it. <laughs> Which, yeah, you know, I don't feel safe. You know, I, 
if, if my job's at risk or, you know, I feel like there's, there's too much at stake here, why am I going to put myself out there? You know, yeah, it certainly happens. Just making enemies. Uh, Lee, let's go to you. You know, just to kind of kind of build off that, as, as Jeremy pointed out, every group has to have a leader. Nominal. There has to be somebody with the ultimate responsibility and they have to take responsibility for the ultimate decision whether it's done, made as a group or made as a person, you, you have to have that point because true democracy is kind of chaotic. You know, everybody gets a vote, everybody can veto everybody else. And so there has to, ultimately, there has to be a decision. And depending on the, the situation, there are times where the, the leader has to make a decision, regardless of the feelings of the group or whether or not there's time to consult the group. But that brings it back to the communication and the, and the trust and the psychological safety that if I'm the leader of this group and I have to make a decision and I, and I don't consult you first, there's a reason. And you have to trust me enough to, to go through with that, understanding that I've, I will fully talk to you about it later and I will fully explain and I will fully allow you to answer your questions and lodge your complaints and whatever else. And if you can foster that trust in your group, then things tend to work. You know, it's an interesting dynamic because the military has a tendency not to work that way. You know, it's a this, do, do what I say and don't don't question me. But we've seen the new, you know, with the, the, the new generations coming in and the changes in general, we're seeing these changes where there is more of that collaborative leadership. Uh, when I was building my groups, it was it was just a simple thing. Look, I will give you feedback. You know, I'll give you your, your input. I will allow you a, a say in what we're going on. And please ask me your questions. Even if I don't want to answer them, I, I still want you to ask me because I'm going to, you know, no matter how uncomfortable it is. And unless I am just forbidden, I will tell you everything that I know. You know, I don't believe in being the senior guy with a secret. And so the caveat to that is when 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 the stuff hits the fan and things got to happen, you have to do what I tell you to do. Don't question me right now. Just do it. And then after the fact, when we do our after action, Ask me all the questions you want, and I will give you the, the skinny. And you can feel free to disagree, and we will note it in the after-action report. We will note that you disagree with my decision, and that's fine. But in the moment, I need you to do what I tell you to do because, well, in that situation, there could be lives at risk. But, you know, just in general, if we're in an emergency situation, things have got to get done. But you got to have that trust that they know I will get my say, you know, when, when this is all ultimately over. Well, I'd vote for you as leader, Lee. Uh, I appreciate it. You're listening to Work Cookie, a Seabock podcast. We'll be right back after this break. Please subscribe to the podcast because it helps us out and it helps the field of I.O. And if you are in or getting into the industrial organizational psychology field and you feel a little lost in the crowd, you're looking for support to jumpstart your career, blaze your I.O. path and maybe get the answers that your degree program never gave you about what it's actually like to work as an IO psych practitioner, check out CBOC's IO Career Pathfinder membership at cboc.com. If you're a more established IO practitioner, check out our expert membership to showcase your expertise, build your brand, and be part of our initiatives. Do you lead a university's IO or applied IO psychology program? Go to cboc.com, get in touch to partner with us to build your program's brand, and get solid real-world support for your students. Let us do the heavy lifting for their engagement and experiences. And businesses, get in touch. We've got the bank of experts you need for coaching, consultation, and program development and execution. Welcome back 
You're listening to Work Cookie, a CBOC podcast. Dr. Matthew, let's go to you. So what Richard was talking about and then as well what Lee was talking about, you know, leaders uh, having empathy and, and that that creating that environment of belonging for your employees it really speaks to the organizational culture. And when your culture exemplifies that that belongingness, that that feeling where people feel welcomed, they are able to bring themselves in whatever capacity they want to show up, however they want to show up, they're more engaged, that engagement rises, that commitment and that bond uh, extends. And and you go from just a, a conglomerate of people to a group, to a team. And so when it does come time for those in the moment, we must make a, a very quick decision and they turn to the leader Leaders can be both in the formal position, but also in an informal position. If you're somebody who has uh, a, a great reputation among that team and among that culture, and you make that decision, that process that your group goes through, you're going to follow because of that that cohesion and that bond. Um, and then when you look at, you know, Tom, I think you were mentioning sports earlier, right at the beginning of our conversations, and think back to like 2010 when. Was it LeBron and Chris Bosh and a couple of, they all went and they, they went to go form the Miami heat dream team and they just fell apart. Their performance dropped. And so Linda Ann talks about super chickens, but, and that's exactly kind of what happened is when your group has, does not have that defined leader. When you have people that are pecking and vying to be the top person, you lose that cohesion, you lose that decision-making and that, that performance. And so it just ripples it, 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 the ripple effects just spread and, and, and it can cost whether it's costing your your organization money or whether it's costing your your people, whatever it may be, it's it's a dangerous and slip, slippery slope. And so, being very mindful and attentive to what your organizational culture stands for really is going to allow that group process, that group dynamic, to thrive. Yeah, it, 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 there's got to be a system built all the way around it that that actually makes things work. Uh, thank you very much for that, Dr. Matthew. Nick, let's go to you. Yeah, to Lee's point, you know, I think we talk about decision making as kind of all the lead up. And we forget that once the decision's made and we're looking at the consequences of those, there's still time to, to read and react. Uh, you know, the after action in the military, uh, post-mortem, a debrief. Um, I can think of a time where, you know, there was a situation I had to make a snap decision. Uh, employee was hanging out after hours and they were getting too loud and a family complained. And I basically just said, give them their tab and get them out of here. Uh, the bartender was a friend of theirs. And so she was in the moment, like, why? What, what's happening? What's going on? I was like, just do this and I'll explain it later. And for me, it was, I don't have the emotional capacity to, you know, justify my actions right now and be like, I need to show this other power that be that, you know, we are taking action. And, you know, after the fact, I went back and I said, Hey, I did this because of a, B and C, which you might not have seen. I know you're sticking up for your friend, but you know, when I come to you with something like that, I really do need you to just kind of listen. And, and I hate to say, you know, do as you're told. But at the same point, that's exactly what I wanted in that moment. And then I went back and and justified what was going on. And when cooler heads prevailed, we were able to take some of the emotion out of it and say, that's why this was done. And this is what we're going to do in the future. Thank you very much for that. And boy, taking the emotions out of it sometimes is really hard to do. Uh, Linda Ann, let's go to you. To build on some of the things that have been said, I think a couple of points are important. And that's one is when you have a group whether they're the leader or the person responsible responsible ultimately for the decision that comes out of the group, 
having someone who has the skills to facilitate an effective discussion, I think is, is really important, right? And there aren't too many people who really understand that process and that dynamic and making sure that everybody gets to speak completely and fully. And also, it's important to have people justify their point of view in some to some degree. In other words, if I just say, yeah, I don't think that's a good idea, and not give any reasons or validation as to why you think that or where that comes from um, or that point of view. You know, sometimes it's just a fact that you have a, a, a situation where you have a differing point of view because of your experience. And it's really important to have that point of view in the group. And maybe that's why you were chosen to be in the group, um, which means, leads me to my next point is that in many cases, the group has to be carefully chosen for what each person can bring to that decision-making process so that you do get that complete scope of perspective and that when you take it back to the larger organization or group, they feel like they've been represented in that decision-making process. Thank you very much, Linda Uh Dr. Jeremy, let's go back to you. But I do have a question for you, Jeremy, because you know the parallels between the work world and putting a cast together to do a show from the acting world and trying to get a bunch of very talented actors who may have some ego, getting them all just to, you know, row in the same direction sometimes is a bit of a challenge. So how do you even start this process? You know, if you want to make choices for success with your group, how do you even get them on the same page? Starting off, and this is from the, the article is called group performance and decision-making. And that's the reference that's provided. It's in the show notes as well. One important thing that what you said makes me think of in terms of a starting point, it's not going to make sense at first, but I'll explain. Failure to identify and utilize resources of capable group members is a clear source of group process loss. So in other words, if we're not utilizing it, we talk a lot about, you know, let's get the salaries that let's get your money's worth for for the the salaries that you're paying. So step number one, Tom, would be Understand what everyone brings to that particular group or in terms of acting, what are what are the individual skill sets, but shed light on them. Let Make sure that the whole group knows what everyone's skill sets are. And also by doing that, you're you're building people up in the process. I'm going to jump over to this other article to answer the second part of your question. It's called Group Decision Making by Tyndale and Wing It. And there's this concept of of group wisdom. So first off, it, it says, and, and again, there's varying research on this. Groups tend to be more accurate when their mem- members hold diverse perspectives. And there's a ton of research on the pitfalls of having diverse perspectives in decision-making and then the benefits of it. So I just encourage everyone to, to do your own research because there's, there's pros and cons, and it's really about how you manage the particular process. But when you look at group wisdom, and this is kind of going back to what, what Linda Ann was saying. You know, first we think of what is wisdom. I was reading yesterday something, and it wisdom is making is doing things now that you'll be happy with later, or making choices now that you'll be happy with later. And I'm sure there's a, a thousand different definitions of wisdom, but that is one thing because if you think about in that particular definition, what does that mean? It means putting aside your immediate needs or your immediate wants. I mean, start it, trying to put aside and look at different perspectives on things. And that jumps back to what we just said about 
looking at different perspectives. It also means trying to reframe a particular challenge or a problem so that you can put into into analogy, you know, break your own the lens of of through which you're seeing something. So I think that's important in terms of how we start to look at what wisdom is. And it's interesting too, because there's an article that I came across. I don't know if it's one in the show notes today. I think it is. But really effective decisions don't really require some some studies find don't really require interaction among group members. It sometimes it in terms of like the discussion aspect because the discussion aspect again it goes back to um, not letting ideas come to full, full fruition. When you when discussion also leads to what conflict discussion also leads to people feeling certain ways or feeling slighted. So sometimes the the less discussion there is, the better the decision can be because you're really just taking into account factual information. And also that gives time for people to find other information than just what is being presented by the group. So I think the overall theme or one of the, I guess, insights for today is maybe start to create based on all this information, some kind of a cheat sheet where you're saying, what can, what type, what can we employ? What's the makeup of our particular group now? And going back to your other question in terms of what too many, too many chefs in the kitchen, right, Tom, kind of with, with the actors, what, what did you say? How do you get them to come to a consensus? How do you get them to row in the same direction? So this is where the process of the decision can actually influence the like the actual outcomes. If my memory serves, when you when you can break down here, it is breaking apart a decision into component parts can change the types of decision groups will reach. So, for example, if not everyone's not rowing in the same direction, the authors found that even if two or three members of a group are against some part of the decision, they can disagree on those particular parts. And then the whole group can say, all right, here are the different parts. And for example, vote on that and end up endorsing an overall proposal. So one way would be to say, what's the overall decision? If we're not rowing in the same direction, how can we break it? You know, it's, it's a process, right? All right, let's break it down into its components. So full circle, Tom, kind of went back to hopefully answering a little bit of your question. Well, and and here's another one for you, Jeremy, because I can imagine a lot of people, you know, listening to this episode of Work Cookie and and going, you know, oh, well, I just have to get my groups talking and we can make a group decision. Um, sometimes it's not that easy. So what is the role of an IO psychologist? When do I want to bring them in to, to work with my group or to help even me, you know, develop those skills to lead the group? Um, do I have to wait in, until there's disaster on the horizon? No, 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 no. And, you know, so you're asking me, I urge anyone here to, to raise your hand and answer that question because you'll get as many people as are here, you'll get that times 10 in terms of different options or opportunities. The first thing my mind goes to is just exploring different communication techniques in terms of getting people together and exploring how and exploring the process to which they're coming up with the decisions. Also, while taking into consideration some of the interpersonal dynamics. The second thing I would say is looking at 
personality characteristics in terms of some kind of psychological assessment where you're looking at, uh, for example, like a Hogan judgment report, how people look, what kind of information do certain people process better? Some people process more verbal information over numerical and vice versa, while some people are actually very good at both, which is called a, uh, a versatile judgment response. You can also look at how people, just in that one assessment, you can look at how people take feedback. And there's multiple other point factors there. And then there's other interesting assessments, uh, like the Colby A, for example, where we're looking at not just cognitive and affective, meaning emotional methods of how we go about working and problem solving, but also the conative aspect, which is kind of the gas behind all of that if you're looking at it in terms of like a vehicle analogy. So I would say IOs can bring a lot of clarity and purpose and also, you know, going through that discovery process, but also figuring out some really solid procedural methods for helping teams interact uh, with less conflict, uh, better performance, and also better outcomes. It kind of reminded me of, you know, trying to play a game without knowing the rules, you know, at least an IO psychologist can set down the rules of engagement. Uh, so thank you very much for that, Jeremy. Uh, Jacqueline, let's go back to you. Thank you. You know, when I think about how do you get the team rowing in the same direction, I think, where's your strategic plan and are they on board? So do you have you hired an IO to help you <laughs> form your vision, your mission, your values have you gotten help in your talent selection to make sure that the people you are hiring feel a purpose in the company and a purpose in the vision, the mission, the values? And then do you have employee engagement that they are bought in to those items? And so when you have that in alignment, it's not going to take care of all of these decisions, but you're going to have a lot less conflict in decision making because they're all pointed towards the same North Star. And if I can, the, the original reason I raised my hand was to go back to the super chicken. So just very quickly, I think that we as a society have a problem where we glorify the leadership role. And what is the leadership role? It's a certain skill set that you can organize and lead people. There's other skill sets that are very valuable as well. I was once talking to a leader about their org structure, and he was talking about a very highly skilled worker with a very specific skill set. And he said, this person could leave this company right now and go make $80,000 more somewhere else. And, you know, there was fear in that leader's voice. And I said, pay this person more. And that leader's response was, I can't because they'd make more than their supervisor. And there's something wrong with that when we can't pay people appropriately for the skill set. And it's because we're glorifying this leader role. And the super chickens wouldn't be pecking at each other if we weren't glorifying that, that top spot, if you will. Yes, there's always a pecking order. <laughs> Thank you very much for that. Dr. Martha, let's go back to you. We talked about the different things that come into play when we when we look at groups and group decisions. We talked about just the right number of group members. We talked about the different talents and strengths of the different group members, how that comes into play. We talked about 
having a leader, someone who can make the final decision, and group members having the ability to trust that they can speak up and share and contribute to the decision-making process. But I think one of the things that we have to remember as well is the quality of the leader. Because yes, as important as it is for someone to make that final decision, that person really has to be the right person. I can tell you from personal experience, when I was just a, a young pup in the workforce, we had a group session when we were working towards a change, and I presented a, an idea, and our manager, without giving it seemingly any thought, without any explanation, without anything, said no, and moved on to the next thing, which that's fine. But two weeks later, she presented that same idea as her own idea and presented it as though it was the best thing she ever could have come up with. You can imagine my uh, internal response to that, right? Because never again would I feel safe presenting any ideas in that group. Uh, forget getting shut down. That's fine. I'm a big girl. But for her to come back and present this as her own idea and pat herself on the back continuously. So the caliber of the leader is tremendously important because you can have the best group members, the right group size, the best talent, but if the leader squashes down that group one member at a time, then your decision-making process is going nowhere. Are, are there some key things we should be looking at for leaders to have some basic skills? Well, obviously, there need to be some basic skills, including people skills, including social skills, including leadership skills. But there's something to be said for an egoless leader, right? Because as Jacqueline was saying, this glorification of a leader, a leader does have an important position, but they can't be ones where the ego rules, right? Even if you do have the power to make that final decision, it has to be a sensible person in that position. We can't have tyrants. We can't have dictators in those positions. So obviously there are some very basic skills. Uh, we have many people in leadership positions that don't belong there. And we see this in, in every aspect of life from businesses to politics to um, anything, anything really. Yeah, and it was, it's kind of interesting reflecting back as my career as a director is I never even wanted the credit. I didn't want a lot of glory. I wanted the actors to have all of it. I just like to hide in the back. Um, Dr. Jeremy, let's go to you. On that note of hiding in the back, but you, you still held the overall decision. Is that right? Okay, good. So this is, um, little excerpt from the article group performance and decision making which uh has been provided and of course is in the show notes so there's this because we're talking about different systems there's one called an, a judge advisor system which is you know makes sense a lot of people provide wise advice to one decision maker and the final decision is in the hands of that one person but there's some interesting things here the best uh predictor of an advisor's influence on that decision maker is their level of confidence. So that was pretty interesting overall, because here are some of the other things that didn't stand out as much. 
Okay, general finding is that advisors influence judges, but the judges give their own positions more weight. All right, we get that because we all have our own biases. If, bias, if, if we're going to be making the decision, we're going to take in our own experiences, yada, yada, yada. They give more weight to advisor. Uh, the decision makers give more weight to advisors who have preferences similar to their own. Gotcha. Uh, confirmation bias. We know that. Judges are sensitive to the accuracy of the vice, advice they receive. And of course, there's probably multiple reasons for that. People don't want to look like they've been fooled or taken. They don't want to take take bad advice because it makes them look bad. So we get it. So they're sensitive. But again, these are just findings of a study, things to take into consideration. Also, advisors who have been correct in the past or who have more information at their disposal are given more weight than advisors who have a bad track record, obviously, or have less information. So we flip this around. What I just mentioned is if you're an advisor, here are these things to take into consideration, right? Have more information, be right more often, have a better track record, be confident in what you do, and try to draw similarities between what your preferences are and what the decision maker's preferences are. Try to find alignment and show that alignment when the decision maker might not see it, because that can be important too. And again, this one's particularly called a judge advisor systems for those of you doing your own research. Do some of that research. Uh, Richard, over to you. I want to give Seabach a shameless plug here because there's a pretty cool little resource in the Pathfinder toolkit of uh, the must-have guide to getting buy-in for your ideas at work. So if you belong to Seabach, you'd have access to that little uh, nugget of helpful tips because it's it, there's actually it's it, it's it's a really really uh, solid resource and, and at the end um, gives you some uh, buy-in themes. So we've been talking about you know leadership, like the leaders part of it, right? But the other group, the group that's following the leader, right? This resource gives them some of the skills that they have to practice. Of course, you know, I mean, you're you're going to get it wrong a few times, right? But but I think if anybody's interested, join CBOC and download that resource because I think it'd be a good thing for you. Yeah, if you're only listening to the Work Cookie podcasts, you're missing all the really good stuff uh, that's on the CBOC website. So make sure you spend a little time and go do a little research. Uh, Linda Ann, let's go to you. Looks like Linda Ann's doing research right now. <laughs> Now I'm writing things down so I don't forget because I have Swiss cheese for a memory sometimes. <laughs> to the points that both Jeremy and Rich made, I think it's important to understand that decision-making is a skill set and you need to practice that skill set. And has someone helped you develop that skill? And have they been, have you taken the time to work with you so that you can be put in a situation where maybe person who is your leader or advisor who says, don't forget to consider X, Y, and Z, or have you forgot, have you considered X, Y, and Z in your evaluation process and being able to put you in situations where you have to make decisions on a smaller scale so that you're more and more comfortable to build that confidence because confidence is a result, not a prerequisite. Thank you very much for that. And, and Jeremy, let's go back to you. Um, we're almost out of time, but you know, I, I remember, I think I read somewhere that just improving communication skills in a group will increase productivity, something like 10 to 15%. So we have a lot of information and resources on the CBOC website that'll help people, you know, 
with increasing productivity by running better workplaces. And, you know, going out and hiring an IO psychologist, you know, it might be a little pricey, but it sure is going to pay off in the end on the bottom line. True. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know if there was a question in there, Tom, but I just, I second your motion. It's just a plug. (laughs) Oh, thank you. That's good. So uh, where are we going to go with this discussion next week? All right. So next week, we're this. So that's our. We're, we're talking about group decision or actually group dynamics for the most part for our theme for this month. Next week, from clash. So it's called from clash to cohesion, part one: resolving conflict within intact work groups. The week after that is part two: resolving conflict between work groups. After that, on the twenty fifth, is the team tapestry weaving group interactions at work. And overall, we have uh, nine events this month, including a Salt Lake City in-person meetup for anyone in or interested NIO, open to the public, and then one in Edgewater, Colorado on January 30th. And of course, we've got our momentum sessions, job seeker, IO job seeker meetups every Monday at six. And Lee's events, Lee, you still here, Lee? Yeah, Lee's still here. Tonight at 6.30 Eastern? Yes, 6.30 Eastern. Nice. So yeah, we are, we're still packed. I, I, I thought last month, I just, guys, I didn't realize we had so many events. I think I said, hey, we have 10 events this month, but I guess we always have nine or 10 events. We, we are a busy, busy place, um, but it's always good information. Uh, you know, hang out with Lee. Um, also, with shout out to Dr. Martha, the, the um, stuff you've got on YouTube and on your website. Uh, what's again the, the name of it? Uh, my podcast is called Workplace Psychology with Dr. Martha Greidek, and you can visit YouTube to check that out there as well. And um, the YouTube channel is Stress-Free with Dr. G. And if there's other IO psychologists out here who haven't started their own podcast yet or are doing stuff on YouTube, get with it. (laughs) The more the merrier. Uh, And with that, Dr. Jeremy, I think we are done for one more week. We sure are. I like that. Stress-free with Dr. G. It's got some nice ring to it. (laughs) Very good. We'll catch you, everyone, next week. Thank you so much. Beautiful, as always. Counting out in five, four, three, two, and one. Thanks for listening to this episode of Work Cookie, a Seabock podcast. Don't forget to sign up at seabock.com. That's S-E-B-O-C.com to engage with our community, gain a sense of belonging, access our other media, and get rapid advice from experts. Would it be a bad idea to make your most challenging workplace problems go away? At seabock.com.